0: Good morning. Hope you had a, have had a good Father's Day so far. And one of the things I want to start off with is kind of a uh, disclaimer for Father's Day. Many times I've seen and heard, uh, even experienced myself, that Father's Day can be a, a time where uh, sometimes dads can feel like a punching bag. Like, oh, it's Father's Day, so we can get on how bad fathers are. But today I really want uh, this morning to be an encouragement. If you're a father, I really wanna, I want you to walk away. Uh, Being challenged, being encouraged. And if you're not a father, that's great. What we are talking about this morning applies to all of us. But dads, I really want you to listen up and take note. Um, We are talking about what does it mean to be a godly man? So what does it mean to be a godly man and, and ladies, you can, you can relate to this in the sense that what it takes to be a godly man, there are, some, there are definitely differences uh, as what God has called men to and what uh, God has called women to. But the things that we were talking about this morning are things that we all as believers can agree upon, that we all as believers have been called to. So ter- go ahead and turn to Acts Chapter 13. Uh, We're going to be looking at a few different passages this morning, looking at these uh, different characteristics. So Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 22. It says, after removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. So let me tell you what's going on here. Paul is is preaching, he's giving the sermon, and he's outlining what happened in Israel and how Israel, uh, starting in Egypt, how they were called out of Egypt and how they were led, and then became, uh, then they they were led by the judges, and then Samuel was the last judge. And then after Samuel came Saul. And then after Saul was this guy named David. All right, so he, this is where he's, he's given this long illustration of what has happened to the nation of Israel. And so after, after removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found, found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out all my will. And so this morning is, what does it mean? What does it mean to be a godly man? It means to be a man after God's own heart. What does that look like, though? Because this is talking about David, who is a guy in the Old Testament. Uh, Guess what? David wasn't a perfect man. You said, I can't be a man after God's own heart because I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I'm not a good man. I know what I've said. I know what I have thought. I know what I've done. I can't be like that. I would encourage you to go to God's word and look at the word of God because when we see a man like David and he is described by Paul as or by God, not by Paul, but by God as a man after God's own heart and that's someone who knows David completely guess what? God knows you completely God knows me completely and yet he could still say this about you he could still say this about us what does it mean? Well, we look at that last verse. Why does, why does David get called a, a man after God's own heart? It's because of that last part of verse 22. It says, Who will carry out all my will? You'll see on your paper that God has called us to, to, to be a man after God's own heart through humble obedience. Humble obedience. That we are not going to be perfect. That you're not going to be perfect. I mean, I think about myself just as a father. It's on Father's Day, so I reflect a little bit about being a father and having three kids. And there are many times where I've made mistakes. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Again, I'll tell you, when I come to preach, it's often confession time for me. So just there you go. Uh, But I see in my own heart that what, what it takes to be a man after God's own heart isn't perfection. It is a willingness to be obedient to the will of God. And so let's let's walk through three things that we can do to be a godly man. Godly men stand for the truth. This is where I would like for you to turn to John. John chapter 14, verse 6. Stand for the truth. We're all called to stand. This is specifically, I'm talking to you men, but it's also to any, any woman, any children, anybody in here, is that you are called I am called to stand for the truth. And we see this because of who Jesus is. It all comes back to Jesus. In verse uh, 6, chapter 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That Jesus is the truth. He's the truth personified. He's the living example of what, it, what truth is. If we say we are believers, if Jesus has called you into a fellowship with him, then we have to stand for the truth because he is the truth. Because he stood for the truth. We all must stand for the truth. And There's many examples of this in, in, the, in the New Testament and Old Testament. One example that came to mind is the martyr, the first martyr, Stephen. This martyr Stephen, he was a man that had come to Christ as Lord and Savior. He had submitted his life to Christ. And to me, in my, and I guess in our culture and our mindset is, all right, you come to Christ now, he should make everything great. Everything should be good for us now. If we're believers in the one true God, things should go well. But that's not what happened with Stephen. He goes and he is, he's described as a godly man, one who serves others. And then he gets taken by the Jews and he he gives this long sermon of how the jews had abraham how they had this whole lineage of following god or being disobedient to god and then he he gets stoned that he he gets he, do, he gets murdered he gets killed because of his stand for the truth He was not willing to back down. He was not willing to walk away from Jesus when it got tough. When things were really on the line, he was not willing to to back away. There's another guy that really, um, uh, I don't know what you think about church history. When you hear that word church history, your head might go down. You might start sleeping. I don't know. Uh, But for me, when I've studied church history, it's an amazing thing. It's an exciting thing to study church history. There's a guy... Who, who came shortly after the apostles. He's considered one of the apostolic fathers. His name is Polycarp. So this guy named Polycarp, he, he was taught by John, the Apostle John. And so he was a man that was trained. He was a pastor. Um, he served God. He wrote, uh, he wrote letters. He encouraged the church. He led the church. But during this time, there was great persecution in the Roman Empire. Well, one of the things that they had to do is they would have to take a pinch of incense, throw it in the coffer, and then uh, praise Caesar. Well, that's what everybody was required to do. You could worship whoever you wanted to. They were okay with polytheism, but they were not okay with Christianity. Christianity said there was only one God, and we only worship one God. And so uh, Polycarp, he was... He was sought after. They went to, uh, to arrest him. He, he evaded arrest one time, got to a house, and uh, someone sold him out, uh, told him uh, there was uh, two men that were captured. Uh, they questioned them long enough to find out where he was. They went and got him, and this amazing thing happens. You would think, run, Polycarp, run, save your life, flee from the, the enemy. And what he does, uh, the story goes that he is up in the bedroom, and he hears them come, and he waits for him. And he goes down, and they're about to burst in. He, he opens the door for them and lets them in and says, Come and eat. Give me an hour to go upstairs and pray. And so forth, an, and they agreed to it. They came in, they ate, he fed them, and, and he goes and prays for an hour. And after that hour, they heard his prayers because he was just in the next room, and they were just—they're almost ashamed that they were going to, to arrest this old man. He was an older man at this time. He was around eighty some years old. So they, they arrest him. They take him to the pro council. The pro council, the one who's in control of this trial, uh, puts him on trial and says, tells Polycarp. He, he's he's sympathetic toward Polycarp. He doesn't want to put him to death. He's sympathetic toward him, and he says, he says this. And I want to read it to you because it was it was pretty powerful to me. So they arrest him. He takes him to this trial. And the proconsul says to Polycarp, Reproach Christ. Give up Christ. Deny Christ. And I will set you free. Listen to Polycarp's answer. Eighty-six years I have served him, Polycarp declared, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Whether I walked with, with Christ was that, that strong is how could I blaspheme my Savior? He's the one that he has not done me any wrong. He has saved me from death. And now you want me to reject him? The proconsul didn't want to give up on it. He wanted him to deny. He said, well, I will throw you to the beast. He said, so let it be. He said, well, if you're not scared of the beast, I will burn you alive. And he says, well, I want to read his response there because it was again, pretty amazing. He says, Polycarp took off his outer clothes and undid his belt. He's getting ready. And he says, if you desire, if you despise the animals, this is um, the procounts, I will burn you. You threaten me. This is Polycarp speaking. You threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour and then is extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. See, what Polycarp understands and often that I forget and we often forget is that there's an eternity waiting for us. That is far greater than what we will ever endure here There's great joys that await for us. No matter what pain, no matter what sufferings we may have here, Polycarp understands that there's a hope, there is a future that is much better, that life is short. He's 86 years old in a time when people didn't live that long. He has seen a lot of life, and yet he is saying, Why would I deny him? He is one that I love, he is my Savior, my King. And he endures. And he goes to, um, they, 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 the proconsul decides to um, kill him by burning, burning him alive. And we, in that time, they, what they would do is they would have a post and they would nail the, the person to the post so they couldn't escape the flames. And what Polycarp says to his, his captors is, says, you don't have to tie me. You don't have to nail me to the post. I will stand here. My Savior will be with me. He will give me the strength to endure this short trial. And it goes on to say, and some debate this, whether it actually happened exactly like this, but the story goes on where he is in the midst of the flames, and they're coming up around him, but not yet burning him. He is not dying because of the flames, and the guards see this, and they go to kill him, and they stab him then, and when they do, the blood ends up extinguishing the flames. This is amazing a picture of faithfulness that standing for the truth and what it does for me is challenges me am i willing to stand for the truth when i may be hurt am i willing to stand for the truth when it may cause me a little discomfort much less death see this morning i really want to challenge all of us are we willing to stand for the truth when we're at work Are we willing to stand up to the truth? When we are around other family members, are we willing to stand up for the truth? When we're in our quiet moments, are we willing to stand up for the truth against ourselves? Because sometimes it's hardest against ourselves. See, this is for our good, it's for the good of others, and it's for the glory of God. When we stand up for the truth, it is for your good. It is what is best for you. It is what is best for others. I mean, think about Polycarp and Stephen, the example that they have led. This man died thousands of years ago, yet he is still an example for us, for me. That's what life is about, is setting an example for others so they can look to Jesus. Because it wasn't that Polycarp was an amazing man. it's because of who he loved and how much he loved him. See, this is for our good, for the good of others, and it's for the glory of God. Ultimately, what we do, standing for the truth, is about the glory of God. Number two, godly men model Christ-likeness for others. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11 says this. It says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And this is simply, this is Paul. It's Paul talking to the Corinthian church. And if you read uh, First and Second Corinthians, you'll notice that uh, the Corinthian church is a pretty messed up church. There's incest going on. There's uh, misuse of the Lord's Supper. There's a lot of things going on in the Corinthian church. But here, Paul tells them, hey, look at me. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at how I act. And, and go and do likewise. Not because, again, I want you to notice here, it's not because Paul is prideful and think he's an amazing man. But he says, imitate me as I also imitate who? Christ. Christ. Model Christ-likeness for others. Could you, like Paul, tell someone, someone else to do as I do because I walk like Christ? I mean, here's a time of reflection for you. Could you tell someone, hey, hey, just look at me and you'll be able to see Jesus. Just look at me you'll be able to know who Jesus is by looking at my life and my words. This is challenging. I think about this in the sense of, as a dad, uh, being Father's Day, uh, my dad is here. And my dad was a role model for me. There are many times where I would go to work with him and do electrical work. I was, uh, I was his gopher. Uh, go for this go for that and I was his, his right-hand man at least that's what I felt like and uh, to be honest I never learned a whole lot of electrical work so don't ask me to do any of that uh, like I said I can go help you I can bring some tools to you I know what tools are but uh, as far as fixing things, that's not my thing but another area where I spent a lot of time when my dad was in the kitchen he also cooked cinnamon rolls, and I love cinnamon rolls. And actually, uh, that's one of the things, I guess is what I cared about most, because that's one of the things I actually learned how to do. Um, so I learned how to cook cinnamon rolls. He modeled for me. He modeled what it was to work hard, that he would work all day and then come home with us. And he would work all day and work on the weekends. And, and we would still spend time together. He modeled that for me, and now I think about me as a dad and how... Man, my shortcomings are are being shown to me because there are times when I I see Sullivan and I see the way he he interacts with maybe his sister or his mother. And I'm like, man, that's 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 how I reacted to him. That's how I have talked to him. And now I'm going to fuss at him for talking to his sister like that. Or I've seen him, and this is more of a lighthearted way, but I've seen the way he aggravates people, how he aggravates my, my family and my wife and my mother and uh, my father, and how he likes to joke and how he picks on people. And when I see him joking with people and picking on people, I, I often see that's actually how I joke with people and how I pick on people. We are models, dads. Dad, you are a model. Mother, you are a model. Son, you are a model. Daughter, you are a model. That we are models. But what are we modeling? Because again, like I said, there's conviction. When I see my son and how he may speak to others, I am, I'm deeply convicted of how I speak to him. Do I speak with gentleness and grace? Do I try to teach or just correct? Again, I want to encourage you this morning that we are called to be models of Christ-likeness. How did Christ treat others? What did he do? Christ is our model. Why could Paul say this? Why could Paul tell the Corinthian church, I mean, I, I don't think I could stand up in front of you guys and say, hey, y'all just look at me and you'll see Jesus. Just follow my, what I do, and then you'll be close to Jesus. I, I'm not there yet. I'm still growing in that. But Paul was confident in this. Why? We have to move up a couple of verses. Look at verse 33 of chapter 12. It says, Just as I also try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit. Again, humble, humble, humble obedience is a, is a quality here. All through these, to stand for the truth, we have to be humble. To model Christlikeness, we have to be humble. And we see Paul says this in humility it just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but a benefit of many. Why? So that they may be saved. So that he says this because he's boldly seeking God. He's boldly declaring the gospel to everyone. That, yeah, follow me so that you will know who Jesus is. I'm not perfect, but I'm submitting to the one who is. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? I'd call you to accept him. Be saved by his grace. He is our model. See, Paul surrendered. When when we look at that, he says, I please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit. What he's saying there is, I give up my rights. I give up my privileges. I give up my preferences. Man, what an amazing truth this is for us. How challenging it is. What if I preferred this style of music? Over this, but this may reach more people. What if I prefer this temperature, but we can only have this temperature in the sanctuary? What if I prefer to have everything I want and not be willing to give to, to those who are in need? What if I'm seeking all of my desires first as opposed to helping those that are in need or sharing the gospel? What if I'm saying, I'm just not comfortable praying in front of others. I'm just going to look out for my own desires. Or what if I said, I'm going to pray in front of others. I'm going to share the gospel. That I'm going to speak to people even when it's not comfortable. See, again, Paul is saying, I do this not because I am great. I do this because of who I love and who I want others to love. Do you love Jesus that, n- that much? That you want others to love him too? Because I know like with me, if I'm really passionate about something, if I really love something, I will promote that. I don't have to get Taco Bell to give me reasons to promote Taco Bell because I love Taco Bell. I'm just telling you right now, I I go to Taco Bell. Probably We'll probably be doing that for uh, Father's Day lunch. Like For my birthday, we kind of do this thing where you get to choose. uh, If it's your birthday, you get to choose where you want to go. I choose Taco Bell. It's not because it's just cheap. Okay, I am a cheap, cheapskate sometimes, but I love Taco Bell. I just love the food there. I could probably eat there three times a day. And so, when you're passionate about something, right, you promote it. You tell others about it. Hey, come to me with Taco Bell. I love their breakfast. You may too. And then some go and don't love it. It's okay though. Um, but I still do. You know that. What is? What are you passionate about? Think about that right now. Of what gets you going? What do you love to talk about? In youth ministry. I've seen it over, over the years where students, some have a hard time talking, but if you start getting them to talk about what they're passionate about, man, they'll go on and on. I've, heard, I've had conversations with students about, uh, about Minecraft. Anybody ever heard of Minecraft? All right, good. You probably don't need to. You, uh, if you have heard about it, you probably know little kids. Because, I, I mean, but anyway, I've had students talk for me for hours about Minecraft. So now I know a little bit about Minecraft. I've had students talk for me for hours about Pokemon. Anybody? Anybody Pokemon fans? All right. Okay, we got a couple in here. All right. Uh, so y'all would probably been good to talk to this student. Because I don't know anything about Pokemon but we endure for the gospel. Why would I have a conversation about Pokemon when I care nothing about Pokemon? Why would I have a conversation about Minecraft when I have no idea, never played the game, never will play the game, because I love Jesus? How does Minecraft relate to Jesus? Because I want to develop a relationship. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know the one that saved me. I want them to be able to talk to me, even about things that I don't really care about. I want them to know that I care. See, we model Christ-likeness. Jesus loved others. I mean, I think about the conversations that were had with Jesus. There were probably many conversations that he had that he was like, that doesn't matter. What are you talking about, Peter? What are you talking about, John? You have no idea what you're talking about. But he would listen. He was a man that was compassionate. He allowed the children to come to him. So we model Christ's likeness for others. See, think about this. How drastic could this church look? How drastic could our community look? If I could tell a student, hey, you see that man over there? Go talk to him. Go be with him. Model what he does. Or you see that lady over there? Go, Go be with her. Talk to her. What if our church was full of people that we could model? that we are modeling Christ and they're modeling Christ, it would dramatically change the the culture of our church. It would dramatically change the culture of our community if we were going to be people that could be modeled, that we were Christ-like to others. And then men, godly men, the last point here is serve others. Philippians 2, Philippians 2, uh, 3 through 8 I want you to notice the recurring theme is humility. Verse 3, starting in verse 3. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. What? Again, this is Paul speaking to the Philippians. Considers others more important than yourself? No, we're supposed to consider number one, right? Right. You look out for number one, and then number two, anybody else. But we got to look out for number one. Actually, as believers, we're called to look out for number two before we look out for number one. You see this? It's, in, it's an inversion. It's a, it puts everything on its head where we change our desires. We change that, oh, it's about me first. No, it's about my coworkers first. It's about my family first. It's about my wife or my husband first. It's about my children or my extended family, my brother, sister, whoever it is that we put their needs before our own. Verse 4, everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but, for the, for, but also for the interest of others. How do we do this? And as you see it in verse 5. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Jesus is God. But he humbled himself and became a man. Listen to this. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he he had come as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. How humble are we? How often are we willing to give up our preferences, our privileges, our rights for the cause of others? This is not easy. I want to encourage you this morning that we are to stand for the truth. We're to model Christlikeness for others. We're to serve others. But what we're talking about is not easy. It's not done in our own power, though. It's done in the power of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. This is how it is done, that we look to Jesus for power. We don't, I, don't, I don't want you to walk away singing, just gird up your loins, be stronger, be a man. That's not what you're going to hear this morning. But what you're going to hear is, follow Jesus. Be more like Him. Love others like He loved. Understand how you're loved by Jesus. That's what makes the difference is once we understand who we are in Christ, we can go to the stake and be willing to be burned alive. We can give up our privileges because guess what? It no longer becomes about me. It becomes about Jesus. How is he going to be magnified? How is he going to be glorified? What can I do to honor him? See, we are to serve others. Serve in humility. Serve others because guess what Christ did? He served you. Scripture says that we are enemies of his. That before we become friends of Jesus, we are his enemies. That all of us in here, we're all on equal ground. That you started out as an enemy of God. One who is opposed to God. But guess what Jesus did? He wanted a relationship with you, so he came after you. He sought after you. And if you submitted to him as Lord and Savior, then you're adopted into his family. But we're not called to sit idly by. We're called to serve. Serve others as Christ has served you. Serve him, serve others because you know who Jesus is. See, to be able to lead well as a man, to be able to lead well as a godly man, we must serve others. If we are going to lead, we are going to serve. This is called servant leadership. Is that if you're going to lead your family, men, You're going to have to serve. Jesus served. Ladies, look to be willing to submit to a godly man who's willing to follow Jesus, who's willing to sacrifice even to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, we as believers, when all of us gather in on this, is that we as believers have to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus that's what all the, the preceding verses are about. To not be able to be selfish is to be Christ-like. To be humble is to be Christ-like. To look to the interest of others is to be Christ-like. This morning, are you willing to, be, are you willing to stand for the truth? Are you willing to model Christ-likeness for others? Are you willing to serve others? As we close this morning... We're going to spend a, a few moments in, in quiet reflection. Hopefully the Holy Spirit is working on your heart. I'm going to be down front. We're not going to have any music. It may be a little bit awkward for you to be in silence. Uh, we typically don't have silence anymore in this world. We usually have earbuds in our ears or radio on or people talking to us. But right now I want us to spend a few moments in solitude, a few moments in quietness. What is God speaking to your heart? If you're a father, may he be calling you to a closer relationship with him. If you're a man here this morning, may you lead well, but lead because you're following Jesus. That you're willing to serve others. If you're a mother here, which one of these truths impact your heart? Where are you needing to grow as a godly woman? Again, could, could, you, uh, could, could I as a youth pastor say, here ladies, here's a woman that you need to follow after. What needs to change? Do some work with God. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict your heart.